Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We do a deep dive into companies that are crushing it with a great culture, and today is absolutely no different. With today's show, we're focusing on two different companies that are crushing it. Sometimes we'll throw in companies that are a resource as well, but today we're focusing on two particular companies that I have had the opportunity to talk with and really just learned so much about the things that they're doing and crushing it. And so I'm really excited to be able to bring them into the show today. So we have two individuals from the company Co-Collective. We have Kit Krugman, Managing Director of Organization and Culture Design. And we have Drew Newberry, Senior Director of Organization and Culture Design. Can I pause you? Yeah. What did it, what did what say it again? Yeah, Drew, it's Derek. It's Derek. Oh, you said I like the name Drew, but we could probably get better. <laughs> you can do Drew or Derek. We'll say Derek today. I love it. We've we've talked about your name being Drew before. How fun! You can be whoever you want to be, Derek or Drew. And then we also have Lila Zegudeli from APS. Um, Lila, your role you are the manager of culture, learning, and inclusion. Awesome! I love yeah, it. I am. Well, welcome to the three of you. I am very excited to have this conversation with you guys today. I've had the opportunity to connect with you guys separately, but now we get to have all three of you in the same room together as well. So I have, you know, some information. I know the background on APS and the background on Co-Collective and what you guys do. But what I like to do is start the show with giving a little bit of a background. So Lila, I'll let you go first. Tell us a little bit about APS, what you do there, and maybe give us a start to the taste of the culture there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, APS, Arizona Public Service, is the largest energy provider in the state of Arizona. And we've been around longer than Arizona has been a state. So it's a, a really incredible and rich history that we have here at APS. I'm actually a second generation APS employee. And so APS has been a part of my life for a very long time. My dad um, worked and retired from APS. So um, so glad that I'm able to be at a, such a wonderful organization that provides such a critical service to our community. I mean, our whole infrastructure, right? Uh, hospitals, schools, businesses, everything relies on the critical service that we provide from an electricity standpoint. And again, my name is Lila Zagel-Daly. I work as the manager over culture, learning, and inclusion. And so I have responsibility over kind of our uh, enterprise culture, as well as enterprise learning and development solutions and diversity, equity, and inclusion. All three of those prongs just completely complement and work uh, together and and, uh, supplement each other and enhance each other. So it's really just an incredible way to be able to pair out um, some of those different functions. Lila, how long have you been there? Because I feel like you and I connected 
a few years ago too. And we've kind of messaged back and forth. And now we finally have you on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I've been at APS for about six years now. Okay. Awesome. And um, either Derek or Kit, you, either one of you can tackle, tell us a little bit about Co-Collective and what you guys do there. Sure. Yeah. And um, Lila, really excited to hear more context about that. It must be so interesting to see the evolution of culture, both from over kind of the generational evolution. So very excited to, to hear more about that. Um, I'm Kit Krugman. I'm the Managing Director of Organization and Culture Design at uh, Co-Collective, as Kendra mentioned. And uh, Co-Collective has been around for about 11 years. We are a strategic and creative consultancy. We partner with clients to help think about transformation. And we look at transformation through the lens of business transformation, brand transformation, organization and culture transformation, and experience transformation. So we work with clients anywhere from nonprofits to kind of the large technology leaders, startups, et cetera. And so we have um, just a, a, a long, well, relatively long 11-year history of, of working with some amazing clients to think about some of their most acute and exciting business challenges. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll let, I'll, let Derek, I'll let Derek add to that. I would just add, since this is all about, you know, talking to awesome companies, I, I would say, if I may, that our company is also awesome and we really like to practice what we preach so we can talk a little bit about the type of culture we try to build uh, within Co as well, not just for our clients. I love that. And I like that you mentioned that because there's a difference, right? There's the difference of the culture that you grow within a company, but also then making sure that 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 culture overflows into how you're working with stakeholders and vendors and clients and and whatnot. So I love that. So Derek, if you have anything on that and you want to start, you know, give us some perspective on, you know, when you're working with your customers, how do you how do you show that culture and that strong culture that you have at Co-Collective? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things with our clients. One is that we really try to, you know, we use the phrase all the time, bring them into the kitchen. So we're not the type of firm that, you know, will go to a client, you know, talk to a few people and then kind of dump a cookie cutter set of recommendations on them. We really uh, like to sort of get into, to use a different metaphor, the sandbox with them and build things together. Mm -hmm. So that means a lot of what we like to call immersion sessions, which are just basically really great facilitated conversations where we tried to build things together, whether it be a new organizational design, a new set of values, whatever the case may be. So we really believe in basically the power of conversation to get things done. Um, that's one thing. And then I would say we also use our own tools on ourselves, right? We try to be our own best client in that way. And sometimes just like with our clients, it's not easy. So one thing that's been big for us is over the last year or so, We've really put the DE&I lens uh, on ourselves. Layla, I would love to hear more about your work in this regard, because that's something that um, is an important part of our values. And so we've really turned the lens inward and had lots of sometimes really difficult conversations about how we approach and live DE&I. We've done things like include DE&I into our performance evaluations to get you know, really specific and actionable. Um, so again, it's about sort of turning the lens back on ourselves as well. And I, I love that, Derek. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, I have definitely worked with a handful of different consulting organizations over my career, and I've definitely run into a few that don't practice what they preach internally and, and 
turnover people while they're also making rec- uh, retention recommendations at the same time. So I think from a credibility standpoint, um, being able to practice what you preach is so incredibly important. And I love the idea too around co-creation. And that is something that I think is a, a best practice, not only for organizations and consulting firms, but also internal, right? As, as we think about creating a culture around succeeding together and co-creating solutions as a way to really include voices at the table. So I love that. Yeah. And just, Kendra, if I could just chime in on that, one thing that makes me think about too is I think that recognizing that transformation, any kind of transformation, whether it's cultural business or otherwise, is as much about the journey and the process as it is about the destination. Right. So making sure that the whatever mode of, of collaboration or whatever mode of intervention is also modeling the destination of where you want to go is critical to the process. So that's how we see it. And Lila, it sounds like you see it similarly. So Kate, going off of what you're saying about, you know, the journey and the process is just as important, right? I feel like a lot of companies right now are tackling DEI as almost like a check in the box. They haven't quite figured out that they just need to do that in order to be a good company, right? Some companies are still learning. They're still kind of figuring that out, trying to check boxes and check that box. Yeah, we have a good culture and yeah, we're inclusive. What suggestions or, you know, Lila, what are your thoughts on how do you even tackle that in the beginning? If it is a company that is wanting to be more inclusive and wanting to do more in that DEI space and not just check a box, right? That journey, where does that journey even start? How does that even begin? I love that. Honing in on what Kit said around transformation, any transformation that you expect with a team or an organization begins with self-transformation. And so as we think about uh, initiating that type of scale change, understanding that what happens at the individual level as a collective will then kind of bubble up right into scaled change. And so one thing that we've been doing here at APS is um, acknowledging the skill around cultural competence or cultural intelligence and using that to really drive self-transformation in that space. Um, and so that is just kind of one, one way that we've begun our journey. Um, and, and certainly, you know, starting at the top, starting with conversations, as, as Derek said, the power of conversations and having some of that facilitated dialogue uh, at the top of the organization is something that we've embarked on um, over the past year or so. Yeah, and if I could add to that, I think I totally agree, Layla, that um, a push for you know better more uh, and sort of um, more effective DEI really needs to start at the leadership level, and needs needs to start with changing behaviors and the stories you tell. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on it on this. You know, a big thing for us is to then sort of make it real by really driving it into your organization's operating model and business model. So we had experience. Um, with this with a client recently that you know came to us for help with uh, constructing what they wanted was a DEI narrative which is basically you know how do we tell a better story about all these great initiatives we had and one of the pushes we gave them is first of all don't just think about this as a set of initiatives think about it as totally core to your DNA and we pointed to a couple of external examples like one was Microsoft where you know you look at the way Microsoft talks about DEI 
they're talking about things like they've created a new Xbox controller that's more accessible for disabled people. So that's not you know, just an initiative, that's a core product, a core service that is being shaped by their views on DEI, right? So that's the type of thing that, that we like to push. You know, How are you actually changing how you operate and how you do business based on this? Yeah, I love that. I think one, it's important for companies to be able to set kind of their own foundation and philosophy, right, in this space and what their commitment is, certainly, and develop kind of that common understanding and vernacular around what we're trying to do in this particular space. You know, I I think that if you try to operationalize it at the extrinsic or external level too much, you lose some of the internal and intrinsic why that is so incredibly important to being able to sustain momentum and effort in this space. You know, I will give you one example of one thing that we're embarking on, um, kind of as a, a result of this work is, is looking at the neurodiverse community, looking at folks that live and work within Arizona, understanding that, you know, we've got folks kind of on the, on the spectrum. And we know that um, those on the autism spectrum are either un or underemployed. And so what can we do as one of Arizona's largest employers to ensure better access in terms of economic opportunity to those that are a bit underrepresented when we think about kind of our workforce? So that is one way, right, as you talk about the, the Xbox controller, um, just one, one way that we're continuing to kind of drive change in this arena. Well, I love that. That's incredible that you're thinking about that. And, and especially the conversation around neurodiversity is just so important as well right now. One thing I just want to double down on what you just said is the why. The why being really critical. Like, why are you doing this work? And, and Kendra, you mentioned something when you were asking the questions about organizations wanting to be good. And I think that one really important nuance is when it's just about the moral imperative of this is the right thing to do, as opposed to the opportunities that it opens up from a, from a business impact and objective standpoint, from a, uh, ability to innovate because of diverse perspectives from a financial outcomes because of the role that gender diversity and equity can play. There's just so many incredible and important reasons to do this work that is not just about it is a good or right thing to do. And that conversation I think is really critical. Why let it just double down on like, why are we doing this and being crystal clear about the outcomes that it, that it produces. 100%. I love that. And in some of our DEI education series um, that we do, we double down on that, right? We really kind of dissect it. Yes, I think it's easy to say, yes, it's the right thing to do, but why is it the right thing to do? And and there's some subjectivity, I think, um, in that. But yes, being very crystal clear around kind of that intrinsic why um, is so incredibly important. And it's just part of it, it's it's all tied together. It's it's not just doing good business. It's just it's doing good for humanity, right? Like Derek, I love your example of the Xbox controller. I'm not a video game person. I never would have had that as an example, but that's fantastic. And then Lila, what you guys are doing with you know looking at your platforms and seeing internally how you can be better for folks on the autism spectrum. I think that's a, a phenomenal step. And then I, you know, knowing what I know about APS, 
I'm sure one day it's going to be a piece that transfers over onto the customer side, right? How can you be outward facing and make it easier on folks on the autism spectrum as well? Not just folks working internally, but using your apps and using the, you know, it's a pain in, <laughs> pain in the butt sometimes for, for some of us, even me, <laughs> paying, paying bills on the apps and stuff, you know? And so making it easier for your customers that are outward facing, I would assume that's going to be something that'll come down, you know, on the pipeline with you guys too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of goes back and connects back to what Kit said, right, around the intrinsic why for organizations, why it's so important to be able to bring in um, representation, right, from your broader community. Because we don't just do this for us, right? We do this in order to serve and deliver for our customers and our community. If we don't have those voices represented within our workforce, then that's going to be problematic for us in terms of maybe missed opportunities or a missed connection with a certain pocket or segment of our of our customer base. And a lot of our customers are Spanish speaking too. And so we do a lot of work in terms of making sure that, you know, we translate our website, we translate and have um, folks that are bilingual, right, that are helping to serve our customers in the way in which they want to be served. Well, I think that is such an important point and often gets missed that that idea of bringing the outside in and vice versa. You know, this isn't a really important part of our philosophy that it's so often the case that organizations and businesses think of what they project out into the world and how they deal with their customers as kind of something that sits over here. So that's your marketing team, that's branding, that's customer success. And over here on the inside is everything about how you run your culture uh, internally and engage your employees. And that's the world of HR. And I really think it's just a relic of kind of I don't know, corporate bureaucracy that those things sit so distinct when really there should be no daylight between how you operate internally, and how you operate out in the world, right? And so on the one hand, as you said, that might mean making sure your workforce um, represents um, and reflects the communities in which you work, right? On the other hand, it might mean, for example, making sure that your sort of external brand and the, the narrative you're putting out into the marketplace is something you're fully living and fully embracing inside. But, but getting rid of that division, I think, is so important. And then it goes back to, Lila, what you were saying about the why, right? If you you research and you read about, you know, Simon Sinek talks about it all the time, but companies that have a why and that they're truly living it, they end up being way more successful on every aspect with customers and retention, employees, because they truly are just doing what is right whether it's the DEI side. Um, Derek, you mentioned it earlier with leadership, right? Leadership has to be part of it. They have to be bought in on all of this and, and leading that charge for building that good culture. And so all of that ties into that why and that purpose, not just the what of, okay, yeah, we do a thing. <laughs> every, every company has a thing that they do or they sell. But Lila, you've said it, you're you're here to serve the community. Having that be a part of the culture, like Derek, like you said, inside and out, it's, it's got to be the same because if it's, if it's different, then you question, okay, is that, is that really your true company culture? If you have a different image on the outside, right? I'm sure there's companies out there that are doing that. And how true are they to 
their own company and what they're doing. So, oh, go for it. <laughs> no, I was going to say, Kendra, if you don't mind, I'm going to tee Kit up here because actually that's really uh, bread and butter. I love it. Both philosophy, that I- idea of kind of defining your why and driving it into everything you do. So, you know, Kit, since you have such a long tenure with Co and really understand that philosophy and approach. If I, you don't mind me setting you up, you'll please feel Yeah, free. no, very happy to. <laughs> I'll answer for um, her. Go. <laughs> yeah, no, or go ahead. No, I think, uh, what, you know, one of the central kind of ethos, the founding ethos of Co was a concept called story doing. And it's this idea that it's not enough just to have a narrative or a purpose or a mission or a quest that you're on but rather you have to think about how that translates into both the organizational system and the customer ecosystem. And so, you know, when we think about all the work we do, as Derek was mentioning, we, we think about this lens of how do you close that gap between what you say and what you do and how do you bring those two things closer together? So we, we approach a lot of our work. And, and also when we think about our own culture, we think about closing the gap uh, for us internally and understanding what that gap is in order to try to close it. And is that something that you guys have been working on and doing, you know, for some time now? Or do these things come from other teammates or leadership? Like, how does that even kind of become part of your ethos? It was a, it was a part of our founding ethos when the organization was built. And I would say what, it, what has happened is it has evolved. That central ethos around it's really important to have a driving purpose, a driving kind of place you're operating from and something that resonates with people and bringing that to life, both inside and outside of the organization, how it's evolved for us and and therefore for our clients is it has evolved in terms of the entirety of the ecosystem it touches. So, you know, the organization and culture practice, for instance, is one of our newer practice areas. We've been around now for three years. Um, And uh, when we were building the practice, it was really this idea of how do we make sure that we're closing the entirety of the gap, not just focused on the external customer side, but also ensuring that organizations we work with have the culture, the infrastructure, the systems, the structures in order to actually drive change within the organization and set up whether it's more opportunities for more innovation or opportunities to be more purpose-driven or bringing equity into the organization that we actually were thinking from a systemic approach about how to do that. And you just said that's internally and with your clients and customers as well. Yeah. So are there ever any moments where there's a potential client and, and maybe there just isn't that alignment where you maybe wouldn't work with a company or... Yeah, that it's a great question. And I'm glad you're asking it. And it's really important for us to ensure that when we do select our partners, our, our clients, that those organizations are aligned with the type of work that we want to do. Our internal, our internal quest for ourselves is this concept of to help the bold truly do. Um, and that means that we, we really want to ensure that our clients are focused on this idea of being net positive. And you can be somewhere on that spectrum of where you are in your journey. And we recognize that we're not asking all of our clients to come into us already being deeply purpose-driven, but recognizing that you want to move along that spectrum from wherever you are in order to ultimately drive a more net positive impact is something that is important to us. And I just love that. Like, this is the stuff I just let, Daryl's going to laugh at me because I just geek out over this stuff. Like, I just, I just wish all companies could do and be and take, you know, these action steps. So it actually leads me to 
I want to jump over to Lila for a second because, and Derek mentioned this earlier, you are working with this company that your father, you said, worked and retired from the same company. So along these lines of what Kit's talking about, you know, some of this is evolved, but some of it is foundational, right? I'm curious to hear from you a little bit about, you know, do do you and your dad talk about things or do you remember, you know, when you were younger hearing things about your dad's work and, and that is, is that what drew you to work there? I'm curious about kind of that relationship and that process. I don't know if he talked to me when I was growing up too much, right, about the type of company culture he had. But what I did know is that um, he was really committed and invested in APS, and he developed some really deep and meaningful relationships with the people that he worked with. And so that's kind of what I remember um, from, from that. So I can't really speak to, you know, what the, the culture was like uh, years ago. But what I can say is that, you know, our culture has evolved even within the six years mm-hmm. that I've been here at, at APS. And Um, You know, we've got a new, newer, I would say, CEO, Jeff Goldner, and, you know, his, his focus has definitely been, and his priorities definitely been on people and culture. And uh, it's probably one of the reasons why we then, um, you know, this, this new function that's dedicated around enterprise culture was, was emerged essentially. Um, So it's been really great to see how the company culture has continued to shift being, I would say, empowered by uh, by our own CEO and some of the messaging and some of the narrative that he has shared uh, with his leaders and down to our frontline employees as well. And do you see, I mean, you you mentioned that there has been some of that shift, but do you see other changes in employees and staff since he has started and since he has made this a priority to improve and work on culture? Yeah, I mean, um, what I hear from our employees is they're they're taking notice. They're taking notice of the culture shift, the culture change. Mm-hmm. Um, what's nice is that from a culture L&D standpoint, we are really focused on creating concepts that are resonant and meaningful to our employees. So for example, over the past few years, we've really doubled down a bit on this idea of Uh, growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And what that means, that was a concept that we did identify um, that we needed to, we needed to shift, we needed to change. We were, I think, operating in a little bit of a fixed mindset. um, And that as our company continued to grow and evolve, and we've set, we've set a very aggressive goal by 2050, we want to be 100% clean. That is incredibly aggressive for um, an energy utility, but we know that one, right, from a purpose-driven standpoint, that was really important to us internally as a company, as well as to our customers and to the environment. Uh, But two, we also acknowledged the fact that, you know, if we were going to meet that goal and that commitment, we needed to we needed to change and we not only needed to change the way in which we did business, we need to change, we needed to change our mindset around how we approached and embraced change and challenge. And so we really hunkered down on this concept of, of growth mindset. And so going back to my, one of my previous points, right? 
all any transformation begins with self-transformation. And so that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Being able to introduce concepts into our employees that were so resonant, not only from a professional standpoint, but also something that they could teach their children, mm-hmm. something that they could bring into their personal lives. When we talk about quality of life, right? That's kind of my purpose, right? How can I continue to drive quality of life, not only from a professional standpoint, but even from a personal standpoint in the lives of our employees? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that idea, Lila, of, you know, what what can I tell my children? The way I think about that is it's like the Thanksgiving conversation that ultimately, you know, when you're having, if it's Thanksgiving or whatever your tradition might be, when you have that moment when you're seeing family and friends who you haven't caught up with a little while, in a little while, you know, number one thing is when you tell them where you work, you want to be able to say that with pride. And it's as simple as that. You want to be able to talk about your, your workplace um, with a certain amount of pride and, and knowledge that they're acting with integrity and in line with your values. But it, I hope you don't mind if I ask you a follow-up question on that, not to try to fill um, kinder shoes here because they are very big shoes to fill, but I'm just so fascinated in this idea that you brought in a new CEO and he's been able to have uh, such a great impact, um, you know, relatively early on. Has Jeff taken any, you know, one or two really bold actions? So you had this big, you know, pledge to go completely clean. I was wondering if he or his leadership team have taken any bold actions on their own to really show people that the culture is changing. This is meaningful. This is what it looks like. Uh, has he done anything like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one example. And and. I don't want to just have it be a conversation around Jeff, right, but really our entire executive team and how they've come together as a collective, because that's where the power is, right? It's not just kind of one person. Um, It's uh, that whole, um, I would say, echelon of, of leadership at APS. And I'll tie it back to our conversation around DEI and our conversation around having powerful conversations too. And so when we started out on our DEI journey, it was really important for us that we partnered with, we call them ENGs, so our employee um, network groups. Um, and so they represent, right, some of the identities um, that we have within our workforce. It was really important that we were able to be able to have our executives pair them up with our ENGs and have that conversation around how they were feeling, what the culture was like. Um, Did they feel included? Were there certain things that we could do to make them feel more included here at APS? That's something we've never embarked on. That's something that I think made maybe some people a little nervous, like what was going to come of these conversations, but our employees showed up in the most incredible way. Our executives showed up in the most incredible way to be able to bridge that connection um, between, you know, our frontline employees to our executives to know that, you know, we're embarking kind of on the power of listening here and being able to take what you said and be able to move forward with some meaningful action. And that's why we are continuing to double down on this idea of cultural competence, because that is one thing that we learned um, through those listening sessions. Excellent question, (laughs) Derek. (laughs) I love it. And you know, I I want you guys to jump in and ask questions. It doesn't have to be just me. Um, It very much is, you know, an open conversation. And Lila, I love the, you know, letting us know a little bit more about Derek's question of, you know, what steps. And having leadership matched with these different employee groups. So I've been part of a handful of companies that, 
have had great company culture and some that did not. Hence how I ended up <laughs> launching this podcast to highlight the good ones and share, you know, the the pieces that are successful. But I say this because I've been part of a couple of companies where there was very much a disconnect from CEO and leadership and, you know, your your frontline employees. And there wasn't an opportunity for connecting and allowing that that space for everyone to kind of skip the levels, right? Ignore the titles and the gaps in between and allow them to have those conversations. I've seen in companies that are successful, you know, that's that's vital. Open up those opportunities. And so, Kent and Derek, I'm curious if there's any of those opportunities, you know, that you're seeing too, so that there, there is the chance for everyone to talk at different levels. Obviously, you have to have some hierarchy and, you know, passing on communication, but at the same time, opening up those channels of conversation and allowing top to bottom, bottom to top. What does that look like with you guys and your culture? Yeah, I can chime in on that. And then obviously, Derek, feel free to add, um, you know, something that Lila said struck with, stuck with me around this idea of how, how those leaders, the organization showed up in those conversations. Um, and I think that, I think that the reason I just want to pause on that is, you know, if you want to collect feedback and be curious about what's actually happening on the front lines of your organization, the way that you show up as a leader is the single most important thing to think about in those moments, because just one of the things we love to talk about in our practice and in all the work we do is just power and how power works and recognizing that leaders coming in to ask for feedback, there is that inherent power dynamic. And so therefore, every single reaction that a leader has to hearing feedback, whether it is positive, negative, supportive, constructive, is going to be taken as a signal of whether feedback is accepted, welcomed, um, or whether it is not. And those things have massive cultural impact and resonance. So I think one note is just how do you consider how, how you're going to show up in terms of both at Co and on the, on the home front and with our clients, we have a lot of ways that we collect data. Um, we think that surveys, focus groups, um, co-creation sessions, as Derek mentioned, are all really valid ways to, to collect data. And, and each, each one of those has its pros and cons, right? If you are running a survey, you, you limit the ability to kind of give qualitative feedback, um, but you get kind of broad, big data that you can think about. If you're conducting a focus group, you limit the amount of people that you can really reach, but you get much richer qualitative feedback. So you need to ensure that you kind of have the right representative groups. We do a ton of also one-on-one -on -one interviews where you can go a lot deeper with individuals. And we tend to do those often at, at the leadership level or, or at the frontline level if we're trying to think about really getting um, specific feedback. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't know if Derek, there's anything you want to add. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful approaches is to basically um, set employees on the organization themselves and almost make them uh, sort of like anthropologists of their own organization. And forgive me for nerding out a little bit here, but my own background's in cultural anthropology. So, you know, this is a, something I'm really a fan of, but it's basically to give people the tools to really deeply observe themselves in their own culture and to actually document things. I mean, take photos of their workplace, show us where do people gather? Where does gossip get shared? Where are the important decisions get made and, and how, you know, and, and tell us things that maybe leaders don't know about. 
then we love compiling that information and basically really showing it to um, to leadership in a really visual, really high impact way. And when they hear kind of voices and stories from their own organization, a lot of times, sometimes it, you know, really reaffirms to them, you know, their purpose and all the great work they're doing. Sometimes it's a little bit of a punch to the gut. You know, they see some things that they uh, weren't aware of, but, but it's never not kind of a really high impact moment to hear those direct stories. Are there any particular cadences to gathering the feedback, the one-on-ones, the surveys, the co-creation sessions? Um, what What's kind of the, the setup with that, with gathering information? Because obviously it's a continuous thing for growth, but what does that look like? Yeah, I would say whereas oftentimes kind of a consulting or advising process is really linear, we're almost like logarithmic, which means that there's this period of learning, really going deep in the organization, learning and listening and not doing a lot of talking on our own. And then all of a sudden, you know, it kind of uh, you know, accelerates really quickly in terms of insight. So it, it really depends on how deep we need to go and the type of work we're doing, but it can be a few weeks, it can be several weeks um, just of like visiting the organization, going to different sites, kind of again, almost being like anthropologists, you know, out in the field. Um, but but it always takes sort of this period of silence, listening, and learning before we start coming in as the experts and saying, okay, you know, here's our point of view. We kind of earn the ability to do that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, and just to add to that, Kendra, just in case your question is specifically about like what is the frequency of of data collection in general that organizations should do, and I think it depends entirely on the organizational context and size. And one of the things that we're always cautious about is thinking about what is the level of feedback fatigue that people have. So you want to strike that right balance of collecting feedback often enough that it remains relevant and not kind of over-surveying or over-focus grouping. Lila, I'm curious to, to hear your experience in this. I'm sure you've had to walk some of those lines as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're pretty sensitive around survey fatigue. It can get, I would say, out of hand very quickly at an organization if there's no governance around that or no common mindset around it. And so, you know, we do have an employee experience survey. We do do focus groups as well, uh, more so at the business unit level um, to ensure that, you know, employees constantly have ways of being able to voice um, their perspectives. I do do have a question though for for Co-Collective around now working with some of your clients in the culture transformation space. You know, I'd love to... Um, to hear from you around, are you seeing any trends in terms of some commonalities where companies are struggling in this space and what they're wanting for the future? Such a great question. Uh, Thank you for asking that. I'll, I'll start off and then Derek obviously chime in. One of the things that we're definitely seeing, well, I'll say two things we're definitely seeing. One, we've been doing a lot of projects over the past year, even on future of work, return to work, hybrid context. It's on everyone's mind and it's currently changing every day with the COVID protocols, pandemic, et cetera. And, you know, we, this moment in time has given organizations a really unique opportunity to redesign how they work, where they work, et cetera, and presented a whole unique set of challenges to identify for and address around 
what is the best context for working? What are the pros of embracing more hybrid or flexible working? What are the cons of doing that? How do we maintain culture if we do have more flexible work? And we are we are grappling with that for multiple clients and also grappling with that for ourselves. So, you know, Kendra, to your, your original point around what is true for both us and, mm-hmm. and our clients, I would say the future of work and considerations around the future of work is absolutely one. Yeah. And as Kit, you were saying, you know, that applies to us. We're both dialing in from various types of home offices right mm-hmm. now. So something we're grappling with. And, you know, Lila, I think the other thing I would add is we're hearing a lot around how do I really live kind of the narratives and stories that define my organization internally and externally? So for a long time, I think, you know, even the most hard-nosed senior leader has understood that they need to be able to tell really good stories to their customers about what we're about as an organization and what value we provide for you. And also internally, you know, what, why does this organization exist? Why should you care as an employee? Why are you here? You know, but uh, I think what they're really grappling with right now is, okay, those stories are great, but how do we actually make them real in terms of the day-to-day behaviors that make up our culture? So we hear a lot about that. I think the good news on the positive side is Kit and I were just reflecting that, you know, kind of in the earlier days of our work, I feel like we had to spend so much time and energy just convincing C-suite types outside of the CHRO why they should care about culture and make the clear connection to business Mm -hmm. value and business performance. And that connection is still there, but the point is they automatically get it. We don't spend any time explaining that. I think post pandemic and some of the, you know, upheaval that's happened over the past couple of years, the social justice movements have very rightly put culture front and center of the CEO's agenda. So check the box on that question. Nobody's asking that. It's more like now, what do we actually do about it and how, how can we help? Derek, and how do we do that authentically to us? Yep. That's the, the other ad. But sorry, Kendra. No, when, and this is for Kit, you too. So when that was the case and you were having to talk to leadership and, and say, no, this is really an area we need to focus on, it, what does that conversation look like when you are having to discuss with leadership the importance of focusing on organizational culture and improvements and growth and all of that? Now you don't have to, right? But what did that look like before? Yeah, I mean, what I, what I can say, you know, I try to think of it very simply. And, and if culture is the way that things are done around here, right? There's lots of different definitions of culture. But um, I love uh, Professor Jacob at Columbia always says the way things are done around here. Um, if, if culture is the way things are done around here, then culture is no different from organizational strategy, outcomes, and impact. So I think bifurcating the idea of organizational culture as a separate entity from organizational operations is actually the problem to begin with. And that to me is what folks are beginning to recognize that culture and organizational strategy, organizational outcomes are inextricably linked together because one is just a tool to help achieve the other. And also one impacts the other in a virtuous cycle. So the biggest thing that we've always been a proponent of is systems thinking, systems design. You know, if you move one lever over here, you're going to have an impact over here. And that's how we think about culture, that it is inherently inextricably intertwined with organizational outcomes. I love that. I'm taking notes. (laughs) Um, Kendra, I'm sorry. Just, I'm going to chime in. Yeah. Um, Go for it. And so, yes, I agree. We've made a lot of progress in the space of executives understanding the way in which culture, right, impacts organizational performance. And so intellectually, I don't, I, there's no argument anymore around that. 
I think now we're going, okay, how do we put um, paper to practice? Mm -hmm. And that's the tough piece because now what you're having to do is all of those habits, right? And all of those experiences that each and every one of us have experienced over the course of, you know, a decade or two or three, we're now going, okay, some of those bad habits, maybe we've learned uh, along the way that have had um, some negative impacts, right, on others, we're having to unlearn. Mm -hmm. And so that's the really tricky part, I think, around ensuring that, you know, we each have that intrinsic kind of motivation to be able to um, use a growth mindset and go, you know what, the way in which I've been acting or behaving or the way in which I tended to be deferential before, I need to unlearn that mm-hmm. a bit so that I can change the culture because each and every employee, right, that's that's our responsibility. We are all keepers of the culture. Lila, that's such a good point. And it makes me think about something that we talk to our clients and think about at Co a lot which is the relationship between beliefs and behaviors and the organizational systems that support them. I think oftentimes back to your original point around the the transformation at the self level, we are all holding a set of beliefs that are ultimately showing up in behaviors. And we have an organizational set of beliefs that are showing up as behaviors. And those things are reinforced by the organizational infrastructure, like incentives, like bonus, like comp, like communications, and all of the systems that surround them. And part of the challenge in thinking about that transformation is recognizing how those patterns are emerging, thinking about both like the micro and macro ways that they're showing up and working to kind of untangle the fundamental beliefs that stand behind the manifestation of those behaviors. Absolutely. And it's definitely not an overnight job, right? Um, You know, both of you are mentioning these bad habits that we all kind of carry, like you said, our beliefs, our our own behaviors. And then on top of that, some of them as we're growing and Lila, like you said, using that growth mindset to learn and grow and then realizing, yeah, that other habit probably wasn't that great. And then learning how to get past that. This is why I love diving into these conversations of culture. And, you know, Derek, your background, the anthropology of all of it, like that's, it's so intricate because it's not it's not the same for every company. It could be similar, but there's different routes and different avenues. And how do you how do you get some bad behaviors out? And how do you improve in new behaviors? And and like we mentioned, being remote, being virtual, you've got so many different pieces of the puzzle, right? And then you've got leadership. And Derek, you mentioned before it was a different conversation. Okay. It shifted a little bit, but leadership still has to be the ones to, you know, push forward that culture and DEI and all of these pieces are so vital. And so it's, it's interesting for me when we have these conversations because there's the similarities, right? But both companies, Co-Collective and APS, you're tackling these in, in unique directions too. And even as I'm talking to, and Daryl passed me a note, Lilo, and you were talking, you're talking about, you know, this, this bold step that you're going to take of being 100% clean. Now you have that thrown into the mix of that's part of your culture. Now you have this very bold, you know, mission that you're on. And then you've got other companies, right? APS is 
here in Phoenix where I am. And so then you've got even these pieces, like how is that factoring into all of this change, all of this, this culture growth and shift. And, you know, the, the companies here in Phoenix are very connected. So does, does that affect what's happening? Now I'm just kind of rambling because <laughs> it's, it's just such a unique thing, right? Culture is not the same thing. It's not cut and paste for every company. But Lila, I do want to go back to that, what you said about your bold, you know, your bold mission that you guys are on. What does that look like in the terms of Phoenix as a whole? And how is that affecting that culture growth too? Absolutely. Uh, one one comment that, that I'll share and then um, I'll try to do my best in terms of, you know, how we're partnering with the community around that. We, we were very deliberate around our cultural transformation effort. And we, and we did that purposefully, right, as a signal to our organization that we acknowledge our strengths, right, from our past in terms of the type of culture that we have. But we also know that in order to meet that bold commitment of 100% clean, we're going to need to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have, we're going to need to have a different mindset. We're going to need to have different habits as well. And so um, we know that in the energy Field. Yes, we are a regulated um, utility. However, we, we still have competition. And so um, it's important for us that we acknowledge the fact that there will be disruption when we think about the energy and electricity space. And so what do we do now to be able to prepare our workforce to be able to deal with that challenge uh, the difficulty, right? And some of that disruption up ahead and try to meet our clean energy commitment kind of at the, at the same time. And so um, innovation is something that we are really focused on right now that's kind of built within, um, we have cultural principles here at APS. And so it's built within our cultural principles. And then, you know, in terms of our longer term strategy, it's built within that and in terms of being able to ensure that our workforce has the skills to innovate and to be able to embrace change and challenge and continue to see the way forward in that space. And so that's what we've done kind of culturally to set up a foundation around that piece. And then, you know, we, we partner with with like local universities like ASU, right? And, um, you know, we do a lot in terms of partnering and supporting kind of some of our other like local organizations to be able to ensure that we have strengthened partnerships between now and into the future that will ultimately, um, and it's not just about helping us, it's about helping the community and helping, right? um, The people that live in the great state of Arizona. Isla, I think, you know, what you just said, you, I think it really encapsulates a mindset a mindset uh, shift that I think every organization, if they haven't gone through it already, needs to go through, which is an understanding that, you know, we're, that we work in and live in an ecosystem, right? It's not just our organization. It's the partners we're connected to, um, the customers we interact with. We're not just responding to their demands. We're shaping their demands. We're shaping their lifestyles, you know? Um, you know, how they think, how they work, how they consume energy, right? Um, and to take that responsibility very seriously, to not just think, you know, how do we conduct ourselves kind of internally as a business, but how are we shaping the ecosystem of partners, customers, and stakeholders around us and what Kit described as a net positive way? I love it. And I love, Lila, I love what you guys are doing. You have to make a bold decision, you know, have the 
the culture of the company to back that. I truly believe that's how you guys can make that bold decision, right? If you didn't have a culture that was so strong and ready to move forward with such such a purposeful mission, right, of becoming clean in 2050, maybe it wouldn't be so realistic, right? But you guys have such a solid culture and it's continuously growing. And like you said, doing so much with the growth mindset. I think you you have to have a bold mission like that sometimes. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the company Black Rifle Coffee, but it was about four years ago that their CEO uh, made, a, made a promise and made a pledge that they were going to hire 10,000 veterans. Prior to that pledge, my understanding from doing some research on the company was they didn't have a plan to actually have brick and mortar buildings, but he made that pledge And then he went, oh, well, we need to do this. And that's why they are building brick and mortar buildings now, brick and mortar coffee shops, because he made that pledge to hire 10,000 veterans. So sometimes all the pieces aren't necessarily there, but you know, okay, well, that's our North Star and that's how, that's where we're going. Somehow we're going to get to that, right? And they're in the process of doing that, just like you guys are in the process of your goal. And I love that. We are getting close to that time. So I always just want to give a few moments for each of you to kind of give your last little bits, um, whatever it is. If you have something that you were thinking in your mind the whole time, oh, I hope we talk about this. It can be that. If you have advice or tips or anything, I want to give the three of you a quick opportunity to give your your last two cents or 10 cents or whatever that quote is. Um, so Kit, I'll start with you. Oof. Wow. <laughs> so many things. I mean, this is just such an interesting conversation and obviously, you know, Kendra to channel your earlier comment about nerding out. This is the kind of things that get me excited. So right? I'm sure we could carry on for hours here. I think, you know, one thing that's very much on my mind right now is there's a lot of, I see a lot of polarization happening everywhere. I think there's a lot of polarization politically. I think there's a lot of polarization even within organizations around leadership and frontline. And one of the ways that I, I think about this, um, having led a volunteer organization for a number of years in, in a, another, another life, it's just thinking about how you think about the mutual value proposition of work and the work that we're doing together. Like why... You know, with with every role that that people take on, and with every person you hire, there's so much benefit both to the company, to the in the context that you're in, to the individual. I think the clearer we can make those value propositions, whether it's you know to channel what you said either earlier, Lila, about the growth and the growth that you're going to have in an organization and taking a growth mindset, and the outcomes that the organization is going to achieve. The more clear we can be about how those that setup benefits everyone, I think that the more we'll we'll get done. Awesome. And Kit, while it is on you, um, what are the ways that folks can reach out to you if they want to get in touch with you, learn more about Co Collective, anything like that? How can they reach you? Oh yeah. Well, you know, team members are anyone. Anyone is always welcome to reach out to me at, on email at kkrugman at cocollective.com. Welcome any comments, thoughts, reflections. Um, or also you can follow me on Twitter, Kit Krugman. I'm not very active. I should be more active. Um, or see me on LinkedIn, Kit Krugman. Awesome. Thank you. Derek, how about you? 
Yeah, I will actually build on what Kit said and just kind of pull back to the larger significance of that importance of, you know, really defining the value proposition. I used to uh, teach undergraduates and they would call this a sort of, this is like a define the relationship type moment between employees and their employers, where we're all questioning, you know, what is our relationship to work? What am I getting out of it? You know, and employers, you know, what do we really need from our people? How do we meet them where they are? And so, um, you know, I'm also inspired by uh, the example, Lila, that you gave to say, you know, how do you go about defining that value proposition? This is really the time to do deep listening in your organization, um, especially at the leadership level and especially in a very public, visible way. Going to your people, walking the halls, whether you've returned to the office or whether those are virtual halls, and um, just asking lots of really good questions about where people are right now, what they need that they're not getting. Um, having those conversations helps you get to that mutual value proposition Kit was um, describing. But even the act of doing that can keep people engaged by showing them you're actually serious about meeting them where they are. Awesome. And Derek, if they want to reach out to you, how do they do that? Uh, find me on LinkedIn. I found it to be by far and away the most uh, useful social media platform. So that's the one I really focus on. So feel free to look me up there. I would love to keep the conversation going. Awesome. All right, Lila, how about you? Gosh, it's hard to top that for sure. Um, you know, and just to kind of continue with what Derek said, I think it's important that we recognize, um, you know, we work in a society that has tremendous value and bias for action. And we're constantly doing, 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 doing. And I think that is great in some ways. However, I think understanding the power of pause right? Not only for ourselves kind of in the moment and also the power of listening and that listening is not in action. Listening is actually purposeful and deliberate action. Um, and something that I think we can all probably reflect a little bit more on, not only in our professional lives, but in our personal lives and how we can continue down, right? That, that piece of it, I think is really important. And so, um, you know, I'll just, certainly speak for me in knowing that, um, you know, my background is in industrial organizational psychology. And I chose this line of work because I wanted to be able to, to make a difference in the work lives of, of people. But as I've been working as a practitioner in this field, um, you know, and I, I made a, a quick remark about this before, but we are in a position to be able to create experiences for people that not only better their quality of life here at work, but also beyond work, right? Because people don't necessarily just segment, right? Their work lives and their professional lives, it's all continuous. And so um, I just want to recognize the power, I think, that each of us, I'm looking at all of us here, that we all have in terms of being able to, to better our communities um, through that. So that's all That's all I'll say. Thank you. That's actually a, a perfect wrap up. And I love that. Lila, if folks would like to get in touch with you or find you, what's the best way that they can do so? Yeah, LinkedIn is perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you to the three of you. I, I absolutely, Derek, I'm jealous of your degree in this. I've just kind of gotten thrown into this passion through my past careers that had, you know, great company culture and, and some that didn't. And so I love when I get to bring companies on like Co-Collective and APS to truly highlight the amazing things and, and what you guys are doing, because these are things and these are examples that other companies can learn from, right? 
And that's why we're here. And that's why we're doing this. That's why this podcast is here. And this company is here to truly showcase the great things that companies can do to improve their company culture. So thank you to the three of you. I appreciate you for being on today. And for everyone else, as you heard on this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a great company culture. As a growing company, we are the culture improvement resource that supports companies and leaders. Our mission is to improve company cultures so people want to go to work. Employees and leaders should like where they work, and we think that this is possible. Thanks, you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.